Oh, hello and welcome. My name is Coach Yo, and welcome to my cycle class. I hope you're ready to roll. Oh my goodness. I wonder how this is gonna go. I ran track, but like, I don't know, this is... Oh, here we go. Hey everybody, welcome. Let's get ready to cycle. I just ordered a pizza, so let's wrap this up in 30 minutes or less. Here we go. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking you wanna quit. Well, I'm here to tell you today is not that day. Instead of slowing down, we're gonna pick it up. Let's go. Come on, doing the best I can. <sighs> oh, I'm trying my best. I got these obstacles in my way. I'm trying to run them over. I just don't feel like I can make it. Are you even listening to me? Oh, my Amazon package arrived. Sick. Come on, everybody, two minutes till pizza. Keep it moving, keep it moving. Pedal for that pepperoni, baby. Pedal for that pepperoni. It's time for the final push. I know those legs are tired, but here we go. Pushing it to the end in three, two, one. Well done, young guns. You made it through class, but I'm here to let you know. I want to see you back next week. Hey everyone, my name is Heather and I'm the junior high pastor and I'm so excited to be with you this weekend. Before we get back into the series that we've been doing, I thought it would be important for us to pause and acknowledge the heaviness on our hearts because of what's happening in our world today. Haiti has experienced yet another earthquake that has impacted the infrastructure and the lives of over 4 million people in Southern Haiti. And also we've been watching with sadness what's been unfolding in Afghanistan. Many people are fearful and they're uncertain, especially women who are worried about how they'll be treated under Taliban rule. And as you can imagine, fear and doubt are some of the biggest threats right now in our world. And those who are suffering need to know that we care, that they matter, that we see them, and that they have a loving father who cares for them and has a plan for their future. If you're wondering specifically how we're supporting Haiti, we are continuing to provide financial assistance with our longtime partner there, the Haiti Teen Challenge. So because of your generosity, right now people are being provided with food and water and shelter, and most importantly, the hope of Jesus Christ during a time when they need it the most. So let's take a moment to be sure to pray for our brothers and sisters there. Father, we come before you and our hearts are heavy and we're confused. Trying to make sense of all of this just brings us to a place where we can only, God, say to you that we trust you and that even in this confusing time, we choose to believe that you are faithful, that you are good, and that you are working and that you are, your heart is sad. Your heart is hurting for those who are suffering. And so God, we just lift them up to you now. I think specifically of the Afghan believers who are in hiding and, and worshiping you and trusting you, but are fearful. 
I think of those who don't know where their next meal is going to come from in Haiti. God, for all those, we lift them to you. And we ask that you would raise up people not only here, but there to show them your tangible love and support. And we give all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for praying with us and thank you that you will continue to pray as the situation plays out. So glad that you have been able to join us for our fourth installment of the Bust Your Butt series. I know that personally, as I've been hearing Pastor Kyle share, that there has been uh, some butt kicking. Can I say that? (laughs) It's so good to hear the truth of the Lord and to know that My life is changing because of who he is and because of his word that's being spoken. And I hope that's the truth for you as well. Not only the last three weeks, but this week too. I am a person who likes decisiveness. I like direction. I like definition. So when someone answers a question with, "Mm, I doubt it, I just cringe inside. So do you think we'll have snow for Christmas? I doubt it. Do you think I can be back on the tennis court this fall when the league starts, even with my injury? I doubt it. Do you think the Vikings have what it takes this year to win the Super Bowl? (laughs) I doubt it. Oh, I just want more. The ambiguity of I doubt it drives me crazy. Give me definition over doubt any day, right? But doubt is a reality for us. It's a reality in life, in relationships, and even in our Christian faith. Being a junior high pastor, I have the privilege of working with students as they move from concrete thinking to abstract thinking. It's a natural part of the developmental process and it's fascinating to watch. Let me give you an example of concrete thinking. I had a girlfriend who went to go speak at a middle school camp one summer. And during one of the evening chapel sessions with the sixth through eighth graders, she was talking about how sometimes in our journey of faith, we need to take a step out, even if we're uncertain or even if we're scared. And she said, you know, just like when you're on the platform at the zip line here at camp, even if you're scared, even if you're uncertain, you just got to take that leap in order to enjoy the zip line. Well, after her teaching session, one of the sixth grade girls came up to her and she was visibly upset. And she said, I don't think I can be a Christian. And my friend said, well, why not? And she said, I'm scared of heights. I don't think I can jump off the platform on the zip line. (laughs) Friends, that's concrete thinking. (laughs) And What's happening during that transition of a concrete to abstract thinking time is that teenagers start to have some tough questions about faith. They start to push back on their parents' belief, and they even start to have doubts about God. And when that starts to happen, parents get concerned, and they bring their concerns to me. And I think that my response to them often surprises them. So they'll say, my child's pushing back, my child's having doubts, and I say, that's awesome. (laughs) Because here's the truth. Doubts and questions are essential for growth. 
I mean, what's the other option? For this teenage boy to blindly accept the faith of his parents or his grandparents or even his youth pastor, never making his faith his own. A faith that's not your own cannot withstand the challenges of this world. And that's true whether you're a teenager or an adult. Paul Tillich, who was a German theologian from the late 1800s, doubt isn't the opposite of faith. It is an element of faith. And I would even add it's an essential element of faith. Pastor Tim Keller, who is one of Pastor Dale's favorites, says it this way. A faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she has failed over the years to listen to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. Believers should acknowledge and wrestle with doubts, not only their own, but their friends and their neighbors. So here's the truth. Doubt can be good. Doubt can be healthy. And that's good for Gideon, who is one of the judges that the Lord raised up to deliver the nation of Israel. His doubts are some of the most memorable in scripture. The time of the judges ran from the death of Joshua, who came right after Moses, all the way through the coronation of King Saul. And we see the account of this time frame in the Old Testament book of Judges. I just love the Old Testament. I mean, don't get me wrong. I so appreciate the teachings and the writings of the New Testament, and I use them often in my sharing and in my personal life. But the Old Testament is just so meaty. It's so dramatic, so foundational. Actually, last week when we were at junior high summer camp, our theme verse for the week came from the Old Testament. We introduced our students to 1 Kings 19, 11 and 12 for the very first time. It's the account where Elijah is hiding in a cave, fearful for his life. And God says, I'll show myself to you. And so he looks for him in the earthquake and in the mighty wind and in the fire. And God didn't show up in any of those majestic forms, but came after those in a gentle whisper. So every chapel session, we talked with the students and leaders about the need to turn down the noise of this world so that we can hear the gentle whisper of God. That's Old Testament, my friends, and that's good stuff. (laughs) There's a lot that's packed in the 21 chapters of Judges, but if we were to read the whole account, we would find that Judges actually highlights a repeating cycle that the nation of Israel goes through. And I so appreciate how Bible scholar Kay Lawson Younger Jr. lays it out, lays out this cycle for us. So this is what it looks like. Israel does evil in the eyes of Yahweh. So Yahweh gives them into the hands of oppressors. Israel serves under the oppressor for a certain amount of years. 
Israel cries out to Yahweh in their distress, Yahweh raises up a deliverer. The spirit of Yahweh is upon the deliverer. The oppressor is subdued. The land and people are at rest for a certain amount of years. And then it repeats and goes right back up to one. Israel does evil in the eyes of Yahweh. Now, that's what I call a bad cycle. And Israel has six of those cycles that are noted in the book of Judges. I wonder, have you ever been in a bad cycle? (laughs) You know, like you don't get enough sleep one night and so you're not well rested and you end up being cranky. So you're short with a family member and that causes a rift in your relationship and that keeps you up at night so that you wake up the next day not well rested and kind of cranky and it just goes on. Or maybe you overeat at your dad's birthday party that's at the what you shouldn't eat buffet and you feel gross and so then you don't want to work out and then you beat yourself up because you overate and you didn't work out and then your pants are tight and then you console yourself with double stuffed Oreos and it just keeps going. Well, in Judges chapter six, we find the Israelites at the beginning of the ultimate bad cycle. So if you've got your Bibles with you, either take them out or turn them on, and we're going to look at Judges chapter 6, starting with verses 1 through 5. And here was their situation. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other Eastern people invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. The Midianites were the classic neighborhood bullies. They had no real home. They just kind of wandered from place to place. And every once in a while, they would team up with another bully to pick on the smaller kid. And that's what happened here. It's as if ravaging was their sport. I mean, they typically didn't keep anything for themselves. They just killed all of the Israelites' livestock or crops just for fun. And this went on for seven years and the people of Israel had finally had enough. So this is what we see in verse six. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Are you keeping track of the movements of the bad cycle? We're on step number four. So they did evil in the eyes of the Lord Yahweh gave them into the hands of the Midianites in this situation. They served for seven years and then they got tired of it. So they cried out to Yahweh in their distress. And God was gracious to them. He called a farmer named Gideon. And just like most of leaders in our world, he was hiding. (laughs) He was hiding out in a wine press from the Midianites when God came to him. 
but I just love that God was so patient with him. Check this out. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash, the Ebezite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, the term angel of the Lord is used multiple times in the Old Testament. He came to Hagar when Hagar ran from Abram and Sarai. He came to Abraham when he was about to kill his son Isaac. And he came to Moses in the burning bush. And that's just three examples multiple times throughout scripture. And scholars debate whether or not the angel of the Lord refers to a simple messenger of God or an actual manifestation of God himself, specifically Jesus Christ. Well, since verse 14 that we'll get to in a minute says that the Lord turned to him in reference to the angel of the Lord and Gideon, we're gonna go with the Lord being the angel himself. So God comes to Gideon personally, which by the way, he did not do with any of the other judges. And with confidence, God says to him, I am with you. And he even calls him a mighty warrior. So obviously Gideon matches God's confidence, right? In his response, <laughs> not quite. Check out what happens starting in verse 13. Here's Gideon's response. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? We are all, where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And then Gideon says, pardon me, my Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please don't go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. <laughs> so in just this account alone, there are three different times that Gideon counters God's truth with doubts. And they're doubts that I think all of us can relate to. The first doubt is one that's because of his current circumstance. So Gideon is so overwhelmed by the moment and what's happening that he can't see the big picture. Next, he has a doubt because of the lack of resources or ability. He says, I, I, I'm from the smallest clan. How can this be? It's so interesting. So often doubts that we have come because we have a small view of either God or a small view of ourself. And actually next week in the final installment of our series, that's what we're gonna be addressing is the small view that we have 
about ourselves and how that can often be the butt that we have to bust. And then the third is doubt that needs more proof. I mean, think about it. Literally, God is there himself. And Gideon still says, will you show me a sign? I would guess my friends who are a little bit more of high intellect or who bend more toward the science and the math areas understand this doubt, doubt that needs more proof. Well, before we get frustrated with Gideon and his doubts, let's remember, doubt can be a good thing. Doubt can be healthy. As long as we treat it like a speed bump in the road and not a dead end. I get so annoyed when I enter into gated communities or a senior high school that has speed bumps. I mean, no offense to anybody in those areas, but that's typically where they are. (laughs) I'm a girl who likes to be on the move and I move at a pretty good pace. So slowing down for speed bumps just irritates me. But I've learned how to handle a speed bump without bottoming out my vehicle. I slow down, but I keep moving. So I don't slam on my brakes. I don't stop in the middle of the speed bump so that my car is straddling it. I just slow down, but I keep moving. It should be the same with doubts of faith in my life. I need to acknowledge them, slow down to address them, but keep moving, keep pursuing God. Gideon did that. He admitted his doubt, but he continued to engage with God and then he let God counter with his power and his plan. Now, there are so many different directions that we could go with this account of Gideon, but I wanna hone in on the one aspect that I'm convinced is the most relevant to us today, whether we are 8, 18, 48, or 88 By the way, I love even numbers. (laughs) I also love teenagers, so I had to include 18, and I'm 48 myself, so there's the sequence. (laughs) Like Gideon, we doubt because of our current circumstance. We're so caught up in what's happening right here and right now that we can't see the bigger picture. I'm not a golfer, It's probably no surprise to anyone. I have a little trouble letting the club do the work, (laughs) but I do love to watch great golfers do their craft. And I have an image that will be seared in my mind, I think for the rest of my life, of one of the greats, Tiger Woods. And it's an image of him crouched down on the green with his hands cupped around his face. And the reason that he does that is because when he cups his hands, everything else is blocked out except for the green that's right in front of him that includes the hole, which the ball is going to, and the path that it needs to go. And it's so intriguing to me, this image. And I think, wow, that is such a great tactic in golf. But wow, it is not a great tactic tactic when we're talking about doubts within our Christian faith and our faith journey. 
So when we focus solely on this moment and what it entails, we have a limited view of God. Think of all it is that we are missing when we can only see this. We can't think of and see what he has done in the past or what he promises for the future. Gideon was focused on the seven years of ravaging and oppression, and I don't think any of us would fault him for that. But he was not giving weight to what God had done for his people in the past. I mean, the God that was literally sitting next to him was the same God that chose their people to be special to him, that broke out of bondage from Egypt, his people, parted the Red Sea, killed the enemy, and then brought them into the promised land. Gideon, because he was so focused in his circumstance, missed that. He also missed the people's disobedience to God, how they literally were living like the pagans around them and worshiping other idols. He missed their responsibility in the tragedy, but that's a whole different sermon. <laughs> Let me just remind us of this truth for now. God gave each of us freedom to choose. And that freedom is something that we hold tightly to and that we desire. But some of us choose poorly. Some choose very poorly. And I have encountered enough of them in my life to believe that's true. And when others use their freedom to choose poorly, people get hurt, damaged, harmed, and scarred. That's the truth of the fallen, broken world that we live in. And that truth affects every one of our circumstances. But the important question for us today is, what are you doing with your doubt? How can you treat your doubt like a speed bump rather than a dead end in your faith? I want to look at some practical steps that we can take to do that. I consider myself to be a practical theologian. I figure if we can't work it out on Tuesday, what does it matter if we hear it over the weekend? So let me give you some practical as you are experiencing and wanting to move through doubt and continue to pursue God, first, ask yourself the question, is my view of God limited? Are you, like Tiger Woods, so focused on the moment that you're missing the big picture? Is God big enough or is he too small? The next step is this. Express your doubts to God and someone else. Even as I say that, some of you get anxious <laughs> because maybe you grew up in a setting where it was inferred or maybe even spoken that to express doubts meant that you had a weak faith or expressing doubts was disrespectful to God. Let me tell you this. <laughs> I can assure you, God can handle your doubts. He's not taken aback by them. He's not offended. He's not irritated. He's not annoyed. Did you notice as we read through the account of Gideon how gracious and kind and patient God was with him? He will be the same to you as you express your doubts. 
not only to him, but to someone else. I think if you choose to express your doubt to a trusted friend or a pastor, you might be surprised that you'll hear them say, me too. I've had that same kind of doubt. I promise you, you are not alone in your doubt. The next step is, oh, first, I forgot. Pete has an amazing quote that brings both step one and step two together. This is what he says. Doubting God is painful and frightening because we think we are leaving God behind, but we are only leaving behind the idea of God we like to surround ourselves with, the small God, the God we control, the God who agrees with us. Doubt forces us to look at who we think God is. Now the third step. Remember what the Lord has done. As you work through your doubts, remember. This is actually a great exercise to do any day, but especially when you're struggling with doubt. If you can think and call out times in your life where God has been faithful, you will have more confidence that he will be faithful again. If you can see times where he has taken what others intended for harm and he's turned them into good, you will have more of a belief that he can do that again. God is good and he wants to show you within your circumstances how he wants to continue to be good. The next step, instead of demanding signs from God like Gideon did, look around for the proof God has already given. We have a class for our ninth graders called AUG. It stands for Approved Unto God. It's a spiritual formation class that our ninth graders go through during their ninth grade year. And in AUG, we call this general revelation. It is the way that God chooses to reveal himself to everyone in a big, big way. If you need proof, look around at creation Look at the majestic mountains and the stars in the skies and little babies and puppies. It's incredible. Think about the intricacy of our bodies, the intricacy of the eye itself and the millions and millions and millions of parts of just one human eye. Or the next time you get a cut, just watch the way your body responds and watch the way the skin regenerates itself. That is proof that God is here and that he exists, and that he is powerful. Finally, don't let your doubt be your butt. So you might think to yourself, yeah, I want to grow in my faith, but I have all these doubts. Don't let your doubt be a dead end within your faith. Keep praying Keep seeking God. Keep surrounding yourself with people who love the Lord. Keep reading the Bible. Keep being under good teaching. And I believe that God will be gracious to you just like he was to Gideon. Are you a doubter? Well, you're in good company. Lifetime members include Abraham, Moses, King David, Elijah, Mary, the mother of Jesus, pretty much all of the disciples, even though Thomas is really the one with the title, <laughs> every one of them was a doubter. And if within your doubt, 
you are willing to keep moving, keeping your eyes on him. He'll do amazing things in and around and through you. I know that because that's what he did with Gideon. Despite Gideon's doubt, God used him in a mighty way to save his people. If you continue reading in Judges and you get to chapter 7, you'll see that God did call Gideon with the Israelites to defeat the Midianites. And Gideon gathered all of his soldiers and he had 32,000 guys that were going to help to fight. 135,000 Midianites, by the way, which is still, right, a big number. And then God stepped in and said, you've got too many men. They won't give me the credit. They'll think that they defeated the Midianites themselves. You got to cut it down. And so 22,000 men left in fear when given the chance. And there were 10,000 that remained. And God told Gideon, you still have too many. Can you imagine Gideon's doubt in that moment? God brings them down this really cool situation with the water and they end up with 300 soldiers fighting 135,000 Midianites. But man, when those 300 trumpets sounded and those 300 jars were crashed to the ground, God caused the Midianites to turn on themselves in the chaos and they were defeated by Gideon and his 300 men. And God got all the glory. And that brings us to the end of Israel's cycle. The oppressor is subdued and the land and the people are at rest for a certain amount of years. And we see this noted here in Judges. Thus Midian was subdued before the Israelites and did not raise its head again. And during Gideon's lifetime, the land had peace for 40 years. Hmm. Makes you wonder what happens next. <laughs> Let's not let Israel's bad cycle be our cycle. Let's change it up. So God, we come before you and I hope we're all willing to acknowledge that we have doubt. God, would you just give us what we need to bring those doubts to you and to express them knowing that you are kind and you are patient and you are willing to engage with us, even in the midst of those doubts. And God, as we move through those and come out on the other side, may we even more proudly wave your flag of faithfulness and sovereignty and goodness, knowing that you are our kind, good God. In Jesus' name, amen.